been getting a lot of phone calls lately that I don't that I don't listen to. I hang up as soon as I figure out what it is. Um, and uh, maybe maybe you're getting them too. I don't know. Either either you're getting as many phone calls as I am from pollsters, or I am a fascinating person, and a lot of people <laughs> are, are curious to know what I think. Um, but there's a lot of this, these polls, and as soon as I figure out it's a pollster, and they say, you know, this will only take you know 15 minutes, you will never ever get back in your life. It's like click. So so I don't even say goodbye, right? I've already wasted enough time listening in this far. So so I get those kind of calls. But there's another kind of call I've been getting lately um, that that I've I've been also been hanging up on. At first, I would try to engage them a little bit, but but then I just decided the best thing to do is to is to hang up on them. And these are people who are calling me about. One of my 401k accounts. Okay, I had a job back about 20 years ago, and I have a 401k from it, and they just will not shut up about that 401k. They keep calling me and saying, "Hey, maybe you should, you know, rearrange your investments. You know, think about whatever you want to do with this." And then I hang up on them because they won't shut up. At the first couple of times that they phoned me, I would say, I would say something like, "Why are you calling me now? Why weren't you calling me a year ago?" Right? <laughs> you know, that would have been a great time to call me. Because then we could have made these adjustments. But if I make any adjustments right now, I'm locking in my losses. Why would I want to lock in my losses? You know, that's, you know, if I just do nothing, maybe it'll go back up. Who knows, right? But if I sell now, if I rearrange my portfolio, I'm guaranteed to have those losses. Why, why would I do that? And more to the point, what does this say about your ability to pre- predict the market? If you didn't call me a year ago, but now you are calling me, it seems to me that that you know you're you're asking me to, to lock the door after the barn, uh, lock the barn door after the horse is gone. So I've been having these conversations, and yet at the same time, I don't want to start managing all the money myself, right? I, I don't think that they're doing a great job, um, and I don't want to have a conversation with them about how they could do a better job. Uh, you know, I think that's that's their business to figure out. And I don't want to be managing all of my money. And I know there are some of you who uh, are, are, are the opposite. I've heard conversations here in this building about how some of you check your bank balance every day. And uh, if you want to avoid uh, losing everything you have in a phishing fraud scheme, that's probably a good idea. But even there, you probably don't want to look at every single Thing that goes on behind the scenes at the at the bank, right? You know all the all the ways that they manage, you know the pool of investments that you are a part of. You know you don't want to be involved in all those decisions. Now imagine if instead of your you know bank balance, however big or small that may be, imagine instead it was Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or or uh, Bill Gates. You know where you've got hundred you've got over a hundred billion dollars, all of them worth of worth of uh, um, assets. Imagine trying to manage all of that. You know, if you were if you were Elon or, or Bill Gates or whoever, you wouldn't be able to do anything else because you'd spend all your time managing those assets. Now, of course, they they don't do that. They don't do that themselves. They've got they've got people who do that for them. They've got they've got financial um, managers who take care of their investments, and uh, that's what our story about uh, story is about today. But Jesus gives it a little bit of a twist because he says, imagine. A dishonest manager. Now, you know, if, if I imagine one too hard, I start thinking about, you know, this graph again. Um, and it's like, why are those so low? Right? Um, but, but, uh, but Jesus, Jesus asks us in this story to imagine a financial manager, but particularly to imagine a dishonest one. 
And so the twist he gives us is to is to manage this job, a fin- financial manager, or in the older language, a steward, somebody who managed your property on your behalf. He says, imagine that for a rich man. Now, this is a place where I, I kind of push back in my head and say, but I'm not a rich man. I don't want to imagine what it's like, you know, being Elon Musk. You know, no good can come of me thinking, you know, oh, 100 billion, you know, that, that's just not, I don't want to go there, right? It's not going to be a profitable use of my time. Um, but Jesus, Jesus um, is, is thinking, you should be thinking about this not as the rich man. You should be thinking about it as the steward. You should be thinking about what's it like to be that in that job where you are managing the rich man's portfolio because the rich man is God. And this is really, this is really a very conventional idea for Jesus's audience. They wouldn't have blinked an eye at that. Of course, of course we are stewards, you know, uh, as, as the, um, uh, in the, in the very beginning of the Hebrew scriptures, uh, God took the man and, and planted him in the garden and said, you know, manage it. And, and, um, the, the psalmist reflects this. The earth is the Lord's and the, the fullness thereof, the everything in it is, is the Lord's. This is very conventional thinking and it carries on into the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is dealing with an argument going on in Corinth and people are saying, I'm better than you because, you know, look at, look at me. I am all that. And Paul, Paul says, what do you have that you didn't receive? Everything, everything you have, um, not just your, your assets, but but your your particular gifts and skills, everything you have, is a gift from God. So, so um, why, if you received it, then why are you bragging as if you didn't receive it? So, this is a very conventional idea that Jesus is working with. But the twist that Jesus gives it is okay. He says, "Imagine you're that steward for a very rich man, but imagine you're dishonest. Imagine you are a bad steward, and that's what makes this." Um, a difficult uh, um, passage to read because no one wants to be uh, entertaining that idea. Um, all of the, all of the resources I consulted when I was preparing this message had the same basic idea. They said this is a notoriously difficult uh, parable to interpret, and I would say it's not notoriously difficult. It's pretty straightforward to interpret. In fact, Jesus interprets it for us. What makes it difficult is we don't like the conclusions it leads us to. It's it's that part. It's an unsettling parable. So so um, uh, so we're we're going to pick it up in uh, chapter sixteen, uh, where Jesus says to the disciples, "A certain rich man heard that his household manager was wasting his estate." That's the that's the dishonest part right there. He's wasting his estate. Now. If we're thinking, okay, well, if I was in the audience, that would be one thing, right? But Jesus told this parable 2,000 years ago. And Jesus surely couldn't have been saying everybody from that day right up to the present day, everybody around the entire world who has this responsibility to be a steward of what God has given them, every single one has been a dishonest steward. How can this possibly apply? Isn't Jesus painting with a pretty broad brush? And, and, you know, that, that's a fair question to ask. But as soon as I ask it, I start thinking, yeah, but, you know, there is some truth in it, right? Maybe I should take those 401k calls, right? When they call me and tell me there's something I could be doing different with my money, maybe I should take it. If it's my money, it's like I don't have enough time to listen to these guys. But if it's God's money, maybe I should listen. Or at least until I'm satisfied, you know, at least tune in a little bit. Maybe... I should rethink, you know, the, the streaming subscription that really we don't watch that much. 
maybe I should be a little more cautious about the impulse buy or the the online version of it. You know, other customers also bought. You know, so um, maybe I should really think about the way I spend my money and say, well, all right. You know, I'm maybe maybe I'm maybe I am maybe all right. Okay, maybe I'm not a good manager. Maybe I'm not the best manager. I mean, I sort I don't even like managing my own money. I certainly don't want to be responsible for managing God's money. Sorry. Right. So in that sense, it's probably true. But the other thing about this is Jesus is not trying to make anybody feel guilty. He's saying, yes, you're a you're a bad manager. You're you're a, you're a dishonest, um, <laughs> unscrupulous manager. But don't feel bad about it. Right, so, and, and the reason for that is he says, he says, the rich man heard that the household manager was wasting his estate. And that is exactly the word Jesus used a few verses back in chapter 15 when he told the story about the, the prodigal son. Last week we looked at the first two parables in that series, the, the prodigal, I'm um, sorry, the, the lost, the lost sheep and the lost coin. But there is the third, the third parable in that series, the, the one that is probably the most famous parable Jesus told, the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. And what did the prodigal son do? Well, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away, and there he wasted his wealth, the exact same language. He wasted his wealth through extravagant living. So Jesus is saying that we, the the stewards of what God has given us, are really guilty of the same thing that the younger son did. And if you think about it, things turned out pretty good for the younger son. Right? He was, he was concerned he would be having to act like a slave for his dad. But he goes back home. What happens? His dad runs out, kisses him, gives him a ring and a robe, and kills the fatted calf. Things turned out pretty good for the, for the younger son. So, so Jesus is not trying to make us walk out of here feeling, oh God, I'm a terrible manager. He's, he's saying, okay, that's all in the past. Forget that. Let's talk about the future. If you are, to whatever extent you are, a bad manager of what God has given you, now what? So, the the first point, before we can go any further into this, we have to remember Jesus is setting this up. Jesus is telling us the story so that we don't feel, we don't feel, we don't, we don't, we're not overcome with guilt and just walk out of here going, it's hopeless. When we squander God's resources, it won't disqualify you from heaven. Things turned out just fine for the younger son in that parable. Okay, this is not about making you walk out of here and go, oh, you know, I have to give more money to the church or whatever, right? Um, really, it really isn't. So, when you squander God's resources, it won't disqualify you from heaven. So, Jesus says, put that behind you, right? That is behind you. Now the question is, what are you going to do now? Where are we going with this? So, he says, verse 2, he called in um, the manager and said to him, what's this I hear about you? Give me a report of your administration because you can no longer serve as my manager. You can no longer serve as my manager. Now, in today's world, you know what that would mean. Today, that would mean that security would escort you out the door, particularly if you worked for, you know, a a high roller, you know, a, a Bill Gates or something like that. You know, you'd be escorted right out the door and they would ship you the contents of your box, uh, of your desk or whatever, right? That, that would be the end of your thing. You know, the, 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 the key card would quit working, the passwords would be changed, you'd be done there. And maybe that's what this guy should have done too, because as we see, what he's doing is he's giving that guy some time. 
and he gives him enough time to effect this scheme. So, so he comes up with this scheme. The household manager said to himself, what am I going to do now? You know, I have a, I have a short, I have a short term. I mean, the, the security could be coming down the hall right now. They, they could be coming right now. Um, maybe the, the, how, I don't know how much longer these passwords are going to work. What am I going to do? And first I thought thunder, but we don't ever get thunder here, so. Um, so he's, he's, um, he's saying, what am I going to do? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm too proud to beg. And then he hatches this scheme. So he says, I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from my management position, he hasn't been removed yet, but I still have some time, right? While I'm here, I will, I know what I'm going to do so that people welcome me into, into their homes. And because Jesus has, has given us the story this way, we can, we can understand this is not about the final judgment. Jesus is not talking about what happens when you get to heaven and you stand before the, the white throne. He's not talking about that. He's not saying, you know, at that point, it's like, that's it. There's nothing you can do. He's saying, no, there's time. What, what you don't know, you know what 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 you don't have is any assurance about how much time you've got that that you are you are like this uh, dishonest manager do i have 50 years do i have 50 minutes you don't know uh, you know security is coming down down the the hall and it will escort us out the door someday we just don't know when that will be so this guy comes up with his scheme and one by one, the manager sends for each person and swindles his boss. He he says to the first one, how much do you owe my master? And the guy says, 900 gallons of olive oil. That's about 150 trees worth of olive oil. And the manager says, take your contract, write down, and uh, write 450 gallons. These discounts are insane. You know, it's a it's a one day selling event. Um, so so he offers this guy a 50 percent discount on this this big debt, 150 trees worth of olive oil. And then the manager says to another one, "How much do you owe?" And he said, "A thousand bushels of wheat." Now he doesn't even offer this guy the same deal. He offers this guy 80 percent. It's ad hoc. He is basically doing whatever it takes to make this guy like him. Right? First guy. It took it took fifty percent discount. Second guy, he was he was happy with a twenty percent discount. This is this is not a a a. Uh, he's not acting like somebody who is trying to maximize investments. He's acting like somebody who's trying to get the get um, a, a a place to go after he he gets kicked out of this job. So there are there are. A lot of, you know, it's been 2,000 years and people have spent a lot of time. It is a notoriously difficult uh, parable to interpret. And so there's a lot of ingenious theories about what's going on here. Some some people have said, well, no, see what's going on is he's foregoing his commission. That as the manager, he would have received a commission for, for the, the work he did. And he's foregoing that. He's simply saying, no, I want this guy to be my friend. I'll give him a discount from out of my commission. Others have said, in that culture, it was illegal to charge interest. So what they would do is they'd bake it in with fees and things like that. And so he's waiving those fees. And so, so maybe those are true. You know, m- maybe, maybe, you know, culturally we're, we're missing something here, but I don't really think so. There's a biblical, uh, um, uh, there, there's a, there's a, um, principle you can apply when, when uh, studying the Bible, it won't always be right, but it's mostly right. And it's the idea that when you hear hoofbeats, assume it's a horse and not a zebra. 
right? You know, that, you know, once in a while it really is a zebra and, you know, okay, that's what the footnotes are for, but, but most of the time it's, it's, you know, it's pretty straightforward. Plus, if, if we're not sure, well, maybe this is one of those zebra times, well, Jesus says he's a dishonest manager, right? We don't have to scratch our heads and say, well, maybe it really is, you know, a commission or, Jesus calls him a dishonest manager. So one way or another, the guy's a dishonest manager. So, so, Jesus says that, um, the dishonest manager is commended by the, um, by his boss. So he has had time and he's used it. The, 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 the rich man made the mistake of giving him an opportunity to swindle him and that's exactly what the guy did. This is why they escort you to the door nowadays. It's why they turn off the, the passwords and the key code because they have heard this story too. And so this guy does exactly what you probably wouldn't want your financial manager doing. And um, so so if we now remember, okay, now this is not a story about somebody else, this is a story about me, okay, what does this say to me? Well, uh, Jesus is saying you have a certain amount of time. You don't know how much time, right? Security is on its way down the hall. Could could take him 50 years. It could be a long haul or it could be, you know, they're about to turn the corner. What are you going to do with that time? You have an uncertain amount of time that's left to you. So your management, your period of management has an uncertain shelf life. That's the one thing that we clearly have in common with this dishonest manager. Um, the management has a shelf life. So is Jesus telling us, <laughs> rob, plunder, and steal while while you have a chance? Is that the lesson here? Well, Jesus tells us um, uh, what the answer is. He begins by saying the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted cleverly. Jesus means exactly what he says there. He did, if Jesus meant something else, he would have said it. If Jesus meant the master commended the clever manager because he acted dishonestly, that would have been a different parable. That would have been a different interpretation. But all he's complimenting the guy for is for acting cleverly. So he's... And then Jesus says, people who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than the people who belong to the light. The people who belong to the light, the people who belong to the world. What does he mean? He means the, the people who belong to the light are people who have been reborn by the power of God, operating through the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done. People who have been born anew, people who are new creatures. Those are the people of the light. And people of the world is everybody else. And he says the people of the world are more clever in dealing with each other than people of the light. What Jesus is saying is Christians should be born again. They should quit doing all the things they did before they were born again, but they should not quit being clever. Christians should be clever. Somewhere else he talks about uh, being as, as wise as a serpent. So how do you how should we be clever? How should we be clever? Well, what Jesus is saying is that that's really contextual. That's something you'll have to figure out. Maybe, maybe you know, in in your situation, your brother owes you. You owe your brother. Uh, no, your brother owes you. Excuse me. I'm trying to tell this story properly. So your you your brother owes you a thousand dollars. Hypothetically, what you can do is instead of wondering if he's ever going to pay it back and gritting your teeth every time you think about him, you could simply say, hey, I decided, why don't you just take that as a gift? Okay, let it be a gift. Maybe that's some way you could do it, right? You could you could kind of make some movements toward improving that relationship simply by doing that. 
maybe you know at, at the other end of the spectrum maybe you could you could tip a lot every time you go to a restaurant and keep going back and keep doing it that'll make you friends you'll be the one who overtips buy extra girl scout cookies you know <laughs> Make friends and and then give them away at work, right? Bring in, you know, no one no one ever got fired for bringing in Girl Scout cookies. So, be clever. What does that look like? Yeah, who knows, right? That that's up to you. You're smart people, or you're supposed to be smart people. You're supposed to be clever. Figure it out. What does it look like? The the big idea though is to treat what you have as if it was somebody else's, and and. Just say it's not my money. I can I can buy those extra Girl Scout cookies. I can I can forgive my brother that thousand dollars he owes me. I can do these things because it's not my money. No, that's what Jesus is saying. Now, you may say, "Well, wait a minute," but it's not my money. Is Jesus really telling me that I can defraud God? Can I? Can I? Can I? fail to return to God what God has put me um, in charge of his money to, to, to do. Well, how would you be a good financial manager? You know, what, what, what defines a good financial manager? A lot of people say you get the biggest return on the investment. That if you're a good financial manager, then you would get the biggest return on the investment. And you'd do whatever it took. But at least all my life, there's been something called socially responsible investing. So people talk now about, well, I don't want to invest in a tobacco company, or I don't want to invest in a um, a company that makes bombs or something like that. People make socially conscious investment decisions. And yeah, I won't get the same return on investment that I would if I had that other investment. Right? I am defrauding myself because I could make more money, but I'm doing something in line with my values. And so if you're going to be a financial manager for God, you should be operating uh, in such a way that you are you are operating, your, your, your investment decisions are reflecting God's values. So what are God's values? Well, Jesus tells us. Jesus says right there, he says, this is what God wants you to do. Use your worldly wealth to make friends for yourself. You have permission. Jesus says, it's okay. That right there, that's... That's that's the statement where, where God says, no, I'm willing to accept a lower return on investment because this is what I want you to do with the money. Make friends for yourself with worldly wealth. Use the money I gave you to make friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into the eternal homes. So if you do this, you'll have friends and you'll be a faithful financial manager. You won't be a swindler. You'll be doing exactly what God wants you to do with it. And then Jesus says, and if you are a faithful financial manager, then um, whoever is faithful with a little will also uh, will be assumed to be faithful with much. And the one who's dishonest with little is dishonest with much. So you'll be you'll be trusted with more because you've proven yourself trustworthy. And he says, if you haven't been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches? So what are the true riches? What are the true riches? I once heard a preacher say this, the only things you can take to heaven are the souls you win for Christ. And that gives me some theological heartburn. But if I was a fact-checking organization, I would say it's mostly true. 
There's more truth in here than falseness. That the, the one thing you can be sure of is you can't take a new set of golf clubs to heaven, right? You know, the, the old joke, you never see hearses with luggage racks, right? So, so the, the big idea here is, um, whatever those friends are, we'll talk about that in a minute, um, that, um, they're not the, the things of this world. God supplies us with temporary things so that we can make eternal things. We, God supplies us with the things of this world so that we can make friends who will welcome us into the eternal home. So, so what does that actually look like for us? Well, practically what it means is that these opportunities come up and we need to seize them. You lose the opportunities you don't take. As Wayne Gretzky said, you lose 100% of the shots you don't take. You, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So so you, you need to seize the opportunity. Security could be coming down the hall right now. Somebody right now is typing into that keyboard and the passwords will quit working. Seize the opportunity. Use the use your time wisely. Don't worry about, you know, bad management in the past, wasting things in the past. Don't don't sweat that. The question is, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do with the opportunities that present themselves now? And of course, that that leads us to the to the obvious uh, uh, conclusion as well that we're not just talking about money, because time is something we have now. That that you may not have another chance to have that conversation. This may be the last time you see that person. So Jesus says, use those opportunities well. Use the opportunities. That that this may be the time where you build that relationship or you let it disintegrate a little bit. You you may have this opportunity um, never again. This may be the last time you have that opportunity. This may be the place where you can actually influence somebody. This is this is the place where where you can affect the trajectory of somebody's life. That is what the eternal friends are about. It's not whether, you know, I'm not going to put on you on your shoulders is the responsibility that you go out and save everybody because if you don't, they'll die and go to heaven and go go to hell and burn for eternity. That's too much for you to carry. But there's truth in there. There's there's a, a, a big germ of truth in there that you can you can do things with temporary with with things that are temporary that will have an eternal impact. You can build those relationships. You can have that influence. You can tell people about Jesus. Those are things you can do during the opportunities you have. So take the opportunities that are available to you. And then about who are the friends? It says that make friends for yourself that will welcome you into the eternal homes. What are they? Well, the one thing you're sure of is they're not wealth. You know, money is not your friend. That's, you know, that's, that's understood. Money is not your friend. <laughs> money, <laughs> how many times have you been abandoned by money? You know, <laughs> how many times has money failed to be your friend? Money is not your friend. Money is a tool. But it is a tool. And it's a tool you can use to make friends, to have an eternal impact. They don't make hearses with luggage racks. And Jesus says, Jesus gives us permission. He says, use the things you have. This is not something, you know, well, what if I do it wrong? Jesus is giving you the authority. This is his stuff. And he's saying, as my manager, I want you to use it to make friends for yourself. That's an amazing statement. That That's amazing authority that Jesus gives us. Don't worry about the past. Don't worry about being a bad manager in the past. 
But starting now, look ahead. Use the resources you have to make friends of eternal value. Let's pray. Father in heaven, too often we can we can look at the money as ours. We can say, look, I, I don't have time to listen to this 401k sales pitch. And we can make the other mistake as well, Lord. We can be paralyzed. We can say, well, this isn't my money. I don't know how to use it well. We thank you that Jesus shows us exactly how we can use it well. We can use it to make friends that have an eternal impact. Lord, help us to remember it is not our money. We should treat it as your money. But we should remember that we have permission. The The way you want us to invest it is to use it to make friends for ourselves who will welcome us into their eternal homes. We pray you would keep this alive in us through Christ our Lord. Amen.